many of you know that blindfolds are dangerous? <laughs> we had an experience in, uh, on Cinco de Mayo this last year in youth ministry. We had a breakout service and uh, we had a pinata. And if you've ever watched Funniest Home Videos, you know that pinatas and trampolines and things of this nature really help keep them on the air. I was aware of this. I was aware of this, and I made it as safe as I possibly could. And I hung a pinata in there in the fellowship hall, and there were probably 65 kids or so there, 65, 70 kids, I don't know. There was a big group that night, because breakout service is kind of an outreach, so more kids come in. We had a pinata, and um, I looked around, and I, I told them, I said, visitors, get first chance. If you have a visitor in your group, then send them up. And this girl was a visitor, had never been before, and I forgot like a bat or a stick. I didn't have any. I was like, oh, I had the pinata, I tried to make it safe. I made everybody sit around like the very farthest outside part of the room. So there was about, you know, 15, 20 feet separation from everybody in the pinata. I'm thinking, this is good. So I forgot about the stick, and I found a shepherd's cane. It was about this tall, which is, you got good reach with a shepherd's cane. So I had this girl get up there and put the blindfold on her, spun her around a couple times, and she took a swing, thud, hits it. Thing swings, I mean really far, swings back, and everybody's going, yeah. And then she just kind of waits. And the thing goes up and comes down. She swings and hits it again. And the thing just bursts open and, and candy and everything goes flying everywhere. And everybody goes, oh! And then there was a pause. And everybody dives for the candy. I mean, there's like 30 kids jumping for candy. And this girl, I'm not thinking. I'm watching the candy. And this girl's got the stick. She goes, like this. And I'm like slow motion going, no. I was running trying to get to her, and she goes, in my mind, I mean, this took a half a second, okay? But in my mind's eye, it took an eternity. As she steps into it, and I couldn't get to her, and all I could see was the faces of the kids going, <laughs> for candy, and one girl goes, and it goes, it missed the tops of everybody's heads by this much. It clipped David Messick on the wrist, and he's going, oh, and I'm like, you're all right, stop it. <laughs> clipped his wrist, and I just grabbed the girl, and I just said, sweetie, and I took the thing out of her hand and threw it, and I said, you have no idea what you just did. <laughs> and I took the blindfold off, and she goes, oh. She had no idea what she had just done. And we did not get it on video. Video camera was there, was not on. It was, a, it, was, it was an epic moment in Exodus youth history. It's still talked about to this day. When I bring up pinata, everybody goes, oh. That girl never came back to our church. And I, I've talked to her a couple times since. I said, what are you afraid? She's like, just don't give me a stick. Don't blindfold me. I was like, I won't. If I was to take a bunch of kids and um, blindfold them and stick them up on a hill, and told them to play tag, that would be dangerous. Amen? And if I stuck them on top of a hill that had, a, had about a 150-foot drop-off, that would be really stupidly dangerous. 
and probably everybody here would be mad at me. Probably everybody here would, uh, would probably want to slap me, but first would go after the kids to take the blindfold off. Amen? You know, we talked last week about the fact that we were blinded in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. They chose their own path. They chose their own desires. They chose their own wants. They made themselves God. They were blinded by their flesh. Their senses were enhanced, therefore desensitizing them to the Spirit of God, desensitizing them to the presence of God. And as we look in Genesis chapter 3, again, not only, not only did the blinding take place in the Garden of Eden, but also did the promise of a Redeemer. So did the promise that there's going to be somebody to remove the blindfold from your eyes. Not only was the blindfold placed there by sin, there's the promise that it's going to be removed someday. Let's look together. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Very specific. His heel. Her seed as in his, as in a person. And then verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Listen. They're hopeless. Adam and Eve at this point are hopeless. Their flesh has consumed them. They have, they've done what they wanted to do. They've made themselves gods. They've ignored God. They're about to be cast out of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of the Presence of God. But before they're cast out, God said, I'm going to give you hope. There's going to be a deliverer. He speaks of it that you will bruise his heel. His. A reference to an individual. And then he goes on and he shows them uh, blood sacrifice, probably taught them about the blood sacrifice, covered them with the garments, covering their nakedness. You see, church, he couldn't take away their nakedness until the blood of Christ would come. Sin could not be removed by blood sacrifice. It could only be covered. And Jesus Christ began to point the way for a deliverer and all through the Old Testament. All up through history, up to the time when Jesus came, they were seeking out for this Redeemer, this Deliverer. All through the the Old Testament, they they would get glimpses here and there. A prophet would mention this, a prophet would mention that. Different scriptures that we can look at and recall and recognize where where they, they are mentioning and making reference to a Redeemer. Different psalms that are prophetic. Prophetic messianic psalms talking about Jesus Christ coming where David was prophesying. And, and as, as people would dig through the scriptures, they would look and recognize there is a Redeemer coming. There is a Savior coming. The purpose of that Savior was to remove our hopelessness. You see, church, without Jesus Christ, we've got a blindfold on our eyes and we aimlessly wander through this world blind and ignorant of what it is that lays before us, which is eternity. Without Jesus Christ, we aimlessly, mindlessly wander through this world and this life having no idea what lays ahead of us. Having no idea what's next to us, before us, behind us, or around us. We're like those kids on a hill that's playing with blindfolds on, thinking we got it all figured out, probably imagining we're winning the game, that we're in control. 
And ultimately, we have no idea how close we're dangling over the edge of eternity. We talked about that last week. This morning, if you turn to John chapter 9, we're not only going to look at this Redeemer that was prophesied, the Messiah, the Son of God, but we're also going to look at a picture that He gave His disciples of His purpose for coming. We see in John chapter John chapter 9, verse 1, says, And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Before we go much further, I just want to establish this, that we're going to look at the works of God manifest in this individual. Not just the work, but works. Okay? Because the mentality, that usually what we see is, is we see what the disciples see. We see the hopelessness. We see the blindfold. We see the blindness of the individual. We see his sick body and we have compassion on him. And say, oh, what a horrible situation. This guy is innocently blind, Lord. What, what a horrible situation. Who did this? Was it his parents' fault? It's got to be somebody's fault, Lord, because this doesn't just happen. It's got to be somebody's fault. And Jesus said, this was allowed to happen, basically. So that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. We've got to understand, church, that the light Jesus was talking about was not just radiant light that emanates from the sun. Jesus wasn't telling them that I glow like the splendor of the sun. Obviously, we know and recognize our need for the sun, amen? Without the sun, this earth would, would, would either freeze to death. If we were further away, if we were closer, we'd burn up. We couldn't live. We recognize our need for the sun and the, and the sun shedding light on this earth. Without the sun, not only would things not live and we wouldn't be able to live, but we wouldn't be able to see We'd be in utter darkness, blind. And Jesus Christ is telling me, he says, look, I am the light of the world. I'm not the sun, but I'm the light. In other words, I'm not just shedding light into this individual's eyes. I'm not shedding natural light. I can heal the body. I'm Lord over all of it. I can do that if I want to. But my disciples, I want you to see something here. I am the light of the world. And I am come to shed light into men's hearts that they would know who I am. Just as easily as I open the eyes of this blind man, I can open the eyes of our hearts and our minds and our souls so that we would know who he is. Jesus Christ is the only hope, church, for us ever seeing the truth. There is no other. Verse 5. 
Later, Jesus makes clear of his purpose concerning this event. John chapter 9, again, verse 35. Now, before I read this, this follows a period where man goes and clean. His eyes are washed. He's healed. Uh, he's brought before the Pharisees. And, you know, he says, all I can tell you is I was once blind, but now I see. Amen. Have you ever met somebody like that where Jesus Christ gets a hold of their life? And they say, what happened to you? They say, I really can't explain it other than I, it's, I'm different. You ever seen a new Christian say, I, I'm saved, but I can't explain it. I'm just, I'm just different. Have you ever watched somebody do that? It's the neatest thing. I love it. I love to watch somebody go from being absolutely lost, confused, and blind to all of a sudden they're coming to you and their life is in turmoil because they're saying, you know, this, this doesn't make sense anymore. And they come to you with questions and you're going... Because they don't see it. They, all of a sudden, they're starting to see. They're waking up. And they're going, wow, I, you know, I used to do this, but I see where that's wrong. I, I probably should, I shouldn't have done that, should I? No, you shouldn't have done that. And God's working in him and moving him. That's what happened to this individual. He goes, look, I was blind, but now I see. But church, he didn't just see physically. He saw spiritually as well. Because the, 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 the Pharisees stood there and they, they challenged him and said, we don't know who this person is, where, who he is, or where he even comes from. We know Moses, we know who he is and where he comes from. But this person, this guy says, this guy's done something that's never been recorded even from the time of Moses. And you don't even know that he comes from God? This guy wasn't even a spiritual leader and his eyes were opened. He had already begun to see. Verse 35. They had excommunicated him from the church and everything else. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. When they'd found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talks with thee. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see. Wherefore, your sin remains. His main purpose for healing this man wasn't just to open his eyes, church. He was to ask the question, Dost thou believe? I want to ask you this morning, Do you believe? Have you placed your hope in Jesus Christ? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Because if you have not, how do you know what you believe? Anybody could tell you anything you wanted, but as long as that veil of your flesh and your life remains on your life, you'll never see Him for who He is. As long as we see things the way we've always seen it, as long as we do things the way we've always done it, we're still walking in darkness. I ask you this morning, has He opened your eyes? Have you begun to peel back the flesh of this world and the natural things of this world to see who He is And who the Word says He is. If you have not, I've got good news for you. All you have to do is behold Him. All you have to do is look to Him. All you have to do is gaze upon Him. Place your hope and trust in Him. And your eyes will be opened, little by little, glory by glory. We'll we'll talk about that more next week. But for this week, I want to focus on the fact that your focus and our focus has got to be on Christ. Verse 36 said, He answered and said, 
Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said to him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is a beautiful picture, church. This is a beautiful picture of him looking upon Jesus and believing. Beholding him. We've got to behold him. We've got to look at him. We'll get into that more in just a minute. But, but the picture that was laid out, we talked about this in, in our Wednesday night Bible study. And if you aren't coming, make time to come because it's, it's been good. Amen? It's been good. And, and we're going through the book of John. But John chapter 3, when, uh, when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and talking about how to be saved and how he told him it was a spiritual work of, of rebirth. It wasn't natural rebirth, but it was something done by the Spirit. He said... Is, to him in John three fourteen, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Making a reference to the children of Israel in the wilderness, mouthing against Moses and Aaron against God, and God sent serpents, venomous serpents, to bite them, and they were dying. Again, a hopeless situation. Who wants to be bit by a snake? Isn't that awful? I like snakes. I play with them and stuff if we find them. Me and Lissy will play with garter snakes. We find them outside and she'll actually hold them, play with them. But I don't want to be bit by a snake. Nobody wants to be bit by a snake. This snake, these snakes were venomous and killing them. And Moses had to make this, this brazen serpent and put it up on a pole. I'm sure Moses was like going, what in the world? Why would I? It doesn't make sense. But he obeyed and he stuck it up. And when the people looked upon it, they lived. They lived. The picture that was given to Nicodemus, church, is very simple. Jesus said, look, the very thing that was stuck on a pole in the wilderness, it was a symbol of what was destroying the people. Here, what is our problem? Our problem is our flesh, our sin that's blinding us, that's killing us, and will kill us and will destroy us. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, a symbol of what was blinding us from Him. And he died upon the cross, carrying all the sin, the weight of the world. So much so that his father had to turn away from him. He couldn't even look at him. For the first time in all eternity past, God the Father and God the Son were separated. He did that for us. Just as the centurion looked upon him, as he gazed upon him and it went dark, he goes, surely, surely this was the Son of God. Just as those standing guard at the tomb looked up and saw Jesus risen from the grave and had to go back and report to the leaders and say, hey, look, this is what happened. They said, hey, we'll pay you off. Don't say anything about it. Hide it. And yet we have the story recorded, so apparently they believed and shared it with somebody. They looked upon, they beheld, and they believed. Do you believe, church? Do you really believe? Have you looked at things differently since you've come to know Jesus Christ? Or have you just maintained, have you maintained the same lifestyle you've always had? This simple looking upon and believing is very hard for people. It's very hard for people. In youth ministry, I've had eyes rolled at me many, many times. People sit there and, and they're there for other reasons and you're talking to them about the truth of Jesus Christ, and you're talking to them about their eyes being open to their Savior, and when they hear that, all they think is, that just means that I can't do anything I want to do. 
See, they don't, they don't understand that's coming from somebody that's been there before. What they don't get and they don't see is that I myself was bound to many of the things that they're bound to. And many of you were too. Don't look at me all pious like you've never done anything wrong. I got this from some of you. No, I'm just kidding. You know, you look at them and you look out and you realize there's so many of them that are bound to drugs and alcohol. Church, you realize our community is being destroyed by drugs and alcohol? The dependency of drugs and alcohol? And it's easy to look at the kids. It's easy to go to all these meetings and say, well, our kids, our kids, our kids. Well, our kids are the ones we're concerned about, but the truth of the matter is, is that the problem didn't originate, originate with the kids. We have adults in our community that are bound to drugs and alcohol, that are giving it to their kids. And their kids are going to your kids and asking your kids if you want the drugs and alcohol that they're getting from their parents. It's not just coming in from outside sources, church. It's the same parents that want their kids to be accepted and, and have a good time in high school, the ones that are living their life vicariously through their kids, that want their kids to be the popular kids, so they'll host the parties. It's those parents too. It's not just the kids. It's this. They're blinded. Blinded by the flesh of this world. Blinded by the things of this world. Do you realize that drugs and alcohol, drugs especially, uh, were used by sorcerers in the past to get into the spirit realm? To prophesy? To see the future? Our kids aren't doing that, per se, to get to see prophesy and to see spiritual... What they're doing is, is trying to escape from the reality of this flesh. They're looking to have their eyes open. What they've done is, is they pick the fruit that they've been lied to about that says, if you eat this, if you drink this, if you shoot this, if you smoke this, if you take these pills, whatever it'll do, it's going to make you feel good. You'll feel better about your life for a little while. It's a deception. They don't understand when they roll their eyes and say, hey, listen, there is hope for you. If you will gaze upon Jesus Christ, if you will look at Him in the Word, if you will receive Him and you believe on Him, you will live. You'll have life. You'll have life more abundantly. You won't be seeking out all this other stuff. You won't be miserable. Yeah, there's going to be hard times, but as we said earlier, we're going to find a way to rejoice in all of it. Amen? Because we have the greatest thing. There's no drug, church. There ain't no drug. There's no drop of alcohol. There's nothing. There's not an illicit affair. There's nothing that can bring any more joy to me than the Spirit of God has. As I said earlier, I could stand naked in a field with nothing and rejoice that I am not defeated. Why? Because I've gazed upon, I've gazed upon the one that's hung upon that tree for my sins. Have you seen Him naturally? No, I've not seen Him naturally. But my heart has known who He is. Just as with Elizabeth when she was pregnant. She walked into the room with Mary. Mary was there in, in the Spirit of God, filled John the Baptist in her womb, and filled Elizabeth. And they got excited, and the Lord, the Spirit of God was there. They hadn't seen Jesus. Church, we have got to understand and realize if we gaze upon Him, if we see who He is, there will be change in our lives. Those young people, those adults that think, oh, I don't want to be a Christian because it only means i got to give up drinking or I've got to give up this, everything fun in life. What the matter of that is, is you take this off and you go, wow, that's so much better. I don't need that stuff anymore. 
You get a peek out from behind the blindfold, you recognize how bound you are and how close you are standing on the edge of destruction. That veil's removed in Jesus Christ. That veil is removed in Jesus Christ. It's removed in that work just as it was for this man. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, keep, you can save that spot. We'll go back to John chapter 9 just before we finish. I just want to show you another picture in Scripture, how this happens. It happens by the Word of God. We today, everybody says, well, if Jesus was standing in front of me, then maybe I would believe Him, Pastor Bob. Well, He's, he's not going to stand in front of you, but He is laying in front of you usually on your coffee table or on the bookshelf or and by your bed or under your bed or maybe not at all in your house, but He is in front of you. The greatest revelation. Church, do you realize if not another word was prophesied on this earth that we would have sufficient truth? Have we understood that? If not another spiritual gift operated, and I'm not saying they shouldn't, I'm saying if it never did, this would be sufficient. It's enough to see who Jesus is. But if we look here in Luke 24... We see two disciples going on the road to Emmaus. Jesus Christ had been crucified, dead, buried, and raised. And uh, there's been a lot of confusion with them up to this point. And they're walking and talking about these things. And Jesus comes up to them. Scripture says that their eyes were holden or restrained so that they should not know Him. I just want to remind you, last week we talked about being consumed with our situation and how we can easily miss God. These men were talking about Jesus, but they weren't looking for Him. They were looking at the circumstances, but they weren't looking to see how He was going to move in it. We've got to have our eyes opened, amen? Luke 24, 17, Jesus comes up to him. He says unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Very condescending to Jesus. And saying, Look, you don't even know what's going on. Are you unaware, as if they had some great revelation? <laughs> are you unaware of all these natural things that are, are, are just troubling us today? Are you unaware of all of it? And they begin to tell him what had happened and so on and so forth. We've got to be careful because our flesh and our feelings, our emotions are so real at times they can be very deceptive and we can think that we know the whole situation beginning to end and Jesus is standing right before us and we don't have a clue. Look what happens. Verse 25. He said to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And they drew nigh into the village, whither they went. And He made as though He would have gone further. But they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures. Church, they were very slow to believe. 
because they knew their circumstances better than they knew the Word. They were more familiar with the circumstances than they were with what the Word had said. So Jesus, in His loving kindness, got their attention and began to expound on who He was all the way through the Old Testament. And He said, listen to me, guys. You know, Moses... You know, Moses, when he, he would have to bring in a, an animal and he would cut it and he'd sprinkle that blood. Don't you see that was the blood of Jesus? Don't you see that that was the Passover lamb? Don't you see that Jesus is the lamb of God? Don't you see it? Don't you see that it was Jesus that was in the burning bush? Don't you see that he's the light of the world? Don't you see that that bush was burning but it wasn't consumed and he's going to place his spirit in everything and it's going to burn and it's not going to be consumed? Can't you see it? And as he's talking, this is happening to him. They're beginning to peek out. (laughs) Don't you see? Don't you see what David said about him? Don't you see what Elijah did? Don't you see? Don't you see everything in the Scriptures, all the prophets, every little picture, glimpse that they got to see of Jesus Christ? Don't you understand what it was saying, that what happened today? Don't let your hearts be troubled. It had to happen. And it was when they sat down to commune with Him, when they had fellowship with Him, their eyes were opened. They heard the Word. They responded. And then they made this statement, didn't our hearts burn within us? When was the last time your heart burned within you? When was the last time the Word of God was opened up, either by you or by a pastor or whoever, and and you just felt something on the inside of you start to flame up and start to point you in a direction, and you start going, hey, wait a second, there's something more here than what I'm seeing. This guy's eyes weren't just healed. There's more here than just somebody's eyes being healed. Wait a second. The Spirit of God's trying to show me something. He's trying to tell me something. Church, when was the last time that you sit in a service and you felt the Spirit of God just start to leap within you? Start to wake you up. If you're feeling that this morning, that's the Spirit of God beginning to do this. He's unloosening the blindfold on your eyes. He's taking it off, church. It's through the Word of God that we have divine revelation of who Jesus Christ is. If we will hear it, if we will receive it, if we will believe it, there's going to come a moment of communion or fellowship with Him where He's going to reveal Himself to us. And our eyes will be opened. And when their eyes were opened, it wasn't a blindness. Amen? It wasn't, they weren't blinded. It was a spiritual awakening. awakening. It was awakening of their hearts and their minds to see Jesus for who He really was. It was then that they looked at Him and saw, and they, they, they knew of the Scripture, but they didn't know Him like this. Perfect example, Saul of Tarsus. Remember what the scripture said? Jesus said this in verse 30. He said, It came to pass that he sat and meet with them. He took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave, and gave to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Think of Paul. But turn back to John chapter 9 with me as we think about him. Paul, going to Damascus, wrapped up in his vision and his dream, what he thought he was supposed to do, goes off to kill Christians. Because that's what God called him to do. (laughs) Isn't it easy as a religious individual to get so misconstrued on what you're supposed to do? 
going to go kill the Christians. Listen to what Jesus said in John 9. For judgment I am coming to this world, verse 39, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. The Pharisees asked about it. Verse 41 says, If you were blind to the Pharisees, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth. See, Paul, Paul was one of those. He could see. He had it all figured out. Jesus Christ made him go blind so he could see. He took away his vision so that he'd get his mind and his attitude off of this world and so that his heart could be alive to see Jesus Christ. Church, we've got to tear away this this veil of the flesh that the only thing we see and think about is this world so we can behold our Savior. And I know some of you look at me all pious. Pastor Bob, this is so elementary. We realize this. Do you? Has there been a change in your life? Are you really sure? Because Paul was really sure. Paul was really sure. He had his agenda, he had his wants, his desires, his things that he wanted to do. Church, we have got to evaluate ourselves according to the Word of God. Jesus came not just to make this man physically well, He came to make him spiritually well. He didn't just come to make us physically well, He came to make us spiritually well. Healing ministries are wonderful as long as the healing of the soul and the spirit is involved with it. Amen? Healing ministries are wonderful as long as the purpose of healing somebody's body is to turn them and turn their eyes toward Jesus Christ. I get concerned if I hear somebody's doing healing and they never preach the Word. Now you can slap me for that. You can call me uh, a pious religious person if you want to. But if people come and roll around in the Spirit and, and prophesy and do whatever and people are healed and slain and all these things and nobody ever speaks the Word of God, I am greatly concerned as to what's, that, what's happening in that situation. Because there's no revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no truth being shared. There's no explanation of, of who He was from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. Who He is today. Yes, healing is wonderful. It's been promised. But we've got to come to a place where our eyes are opened. Church, it's only by this healing can we have these things. It's only by the healing of our soul 